This morning, we have the privilege of having uh, uh, one of our brothers uh, bring to us God's word. His name is Chad Bennett. He is a pastor at uh, Grace Baptist Church in uh, Hazleton, uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, he's here to both preach in this morning here, uh, in our service here in the morning, but he's, he will also be here to teach uh, in the TPC classes this week. Uh, he will be teaching on evangelism, the, the Psalms and wisdom books, so that the Old Testament poetry. Uh, so uh, continue praying for him as he serves us as a church in that way. So let me invite you, brother, come and bring us God's word. In your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me just give greetings from my church. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm glad I'm able to come, and our church sends greetings to you all. We count you as dear brothers and sisters in the Lord, so it's great to be here with you now. Our passage is Ephesians 1, and we're looking today at verses 3 through 14. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time, to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray now that you would open that word to us today by your spirit that you'd speak through your messenger now. Lord, help us to understand what it means to be in Christ and the blessings that are ours through him. Help us to know even who we are. Lord, that we would not be confused by the world around us. And Lord, we pray you'd use your word to save those who don't know you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. Now, our brother Dominic mentioned in Sunday school 
uh, some of what's going on in the West in terms of gender and identity. And I'm embarrassed to come because of that aspect of the culture in which I live. But it's becoming increasingly relevant in our culture, the question of who am I? And I think this has always been a question that people have asked. Now it's just gone really to absurdity. So you may wonder, even as you maybe go to university or on campus, you're thinking, well, who am I? What am I going to be? We try to determine what has God called me to be? And as I said, in my culture right now, we have questions of even what gender am I? I think even more absurd, as I was studying, I saw even people who were saying that they believe themselves to be animals. I'm a goat. Okay. Right? So we can go absurd, but we can also speak realistically. What happens if I lose my job? If I've always thought of myself of being this and then I lose my job, have I changed who I am, my identity? I think for the believer, such questions are answered by the word of God. God's word instructs us on who we are and gives us a firm foundation even to face cultural opposition, the world's interpretation of things. And God's word tells us who we are specifically through our union with Jesus Christ. Now, that's hard to understand. Often it's called the the mystical union with Christ. Because it's hard to put in words how it is we're united to Jesus Christ. But as Christians, you are in Christ Jesus. You are united to him. And the Bible reveals that the Christian's union with Christ defines their identity. It's the source of all spiritual blessings that we enjoy. And so we may not give much time to pondering or thinking about our union with Christ. It's probably not something you were sitting around thinking about. I was actually told at the men's breakfast that it came up. So I was really thrilled about that. But it's not something we give a lot of thought to. What does it mean to be united to Jesus Christ? But if we're students of the New Testament, we should give some thought to it. Paul uses some form of in Christ 170 plus times in the New Testament, his writings. So Paul speaks of it 170 times. You think about that, that's quite a lot. So it's obviously of great importance to him, but today I think we give very little thought to it by comparison. And so as we look at our text today, we see our text begins with Paul breaking forth in praise in verse 3. Praise of the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, really for all the spiritual blessings he's given to his people. And he specifically discusses some of the blessings that we have through our union with Christ, while at the same time he alludes to others and shows that it's much more extensive than we can imagine. So I want us to consider today the nature of the spiritual blessings that we have, the extent of the spiritual blessings that we have, and the source of the spiritual blessings that we have. So first we'll look at the nature of the spiritual blessings And again, look with me at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. 
So verse 3 says, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places has been given to the Christian. So as we look at this, we may want to make some distinction. What does it mean, spiritual blessings? What does it mean, spiritual, as opposed to physical or material blessings? I know in both of our cultures that the prosperity gospel has been something that has been uh, pretty large in a lot of people's minds. When it talks about spiritual blessings here, we're not talking about God's going to give us prosperity and a good life. And in fact, God or Jesus even says something quite contrary to that. In John 16, 33, he says, in this world, you have trouble, but take heart. I've overcome the world. So our expectation in the world is to be trouble. If they hated me, Jesus says, they will hate you also. And so we're not talking about material blessings. We're not saying because you're a Christian, you're going to have material blessings. In fact, we're going to face persecution for being Christians. In many ways, life will be harder for us. But spiritual blessings. We understand as well that God, who is the creator and maker of all things, is the giver of any blessings that we have. If God were to bless us materially, God deserves the glory for that, not us. But here we're speaking specifically of spiritual blessings. Matthew 5.45 affirms that in terms of the material blessing or even what we would call common grace, Matthew 5.45, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and on the unjust. So we're not denying that any of these things are blessings from God. They are. But here specifically, he speaks of spiritual blessings. And the spiritual blessings that we receive are given to us through Christ. And it only is for those who belong to Jesus Christ, through union with Christ, that they have them. And so spiritual here distinguishes a unique set of blessings that come to us in a spiritual way. Because of a spiritual union we have with Jesus Christ. Now, spiritual here may also pertain to the way in which it is received. We receive these blessings through the Holy Spirit. The Spirit gives these blessings. And it says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And what does he mean by heavenly places here? Well, he's not referring to where or when we receive the blessing. He's not saying you, he, you've been given every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So when you get there, you'll finally get to enjoy these blessings. So it's not speaking of a time period in the future or a location in terms of being with God in heaven. I think we can understand this. By the idea that the believer is united to Jesus Christ. And where is Jesus Christ right now? He's in heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father. And so, in some mysterious way, we're united to him who is himself in heaven at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 2, our next chapter, verses 6 through 7, is speaking of Jesus and says, And he raised him up with him. And seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show 
the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. So we have been raised up with Christ and we have been seated in heavenly places. Now, we're in church today. You're seated here. In many ways, this is as close to heaven as we get in this life. The Lord's Day, worship together in God's presence with God's people. But at the same time, we could say, we know we're not seated in the heavenly places right now, right? And yet God's word says we are. Because there's a spiritual reality that goes beyond what we experience. There's a spiritual reality that we are with Christ who's seated there. And therefore, we've been raised and seated with him in the heavenly places. And when it says every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, I think it's speaking also from where those blessings flow, the source of those blessings. Those blessings are coming to us through our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is himself seated there on the throne in heaven. It also speaks of the fact that these blessings that we receive are blessings that uh, belong to Jesus Christ. And therefore, they belong to the believer through our union with him. And so he's seated at the right hand, and they're his blessings that we receive. Right? So that's touching, first of all, on the nature of the spiritual blessings. They're not material or physical. They're spiritual things that are somehow tied to who Christ is. Next, I want to consider the extent of the spiritual blessings. What are these spiritual blessings? How far do they extend? Well, again, we have an answer in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Every spiritual blessing Christians have been blessed with. So if I were to ask you a question, what spiritual blessings are not included in that? Right. Every spiritual blessing means every spiritual blessing. There is no blessing that God could give to the believer that he has not already given to him in Jesus Christ. That's amazing, isn't it? So we think about the extent. If we, have every, we can't sit and imagine, oh, if only God would give me more blessing. He's blessed us in every way possible through Jesus Christ. So Paul gives us a list of sampling, we might say, of some of these blessings in verses 4 through 14, the rest of the text that I read to you earlier. And so I'm going to run through just making reference to them. I won't go back and reread the verses, but if you have your Bibles or up here, you can look on. But the blessings that he describes in verse 4, he talks about election, sanctification, and holiness. In uh, that's say verse five. That's verse four. In verse five, we see that in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. So we can say predestination and election. They speak to God's sovereign power to save the sinner and make them holy and blameless and a child of God, which we see as well there, adoption. So think about for a moment that our state apart from Jesus Christ, we are sinners, we are dead in our sin, and God's word tells us that we are at enmity with God. We are opposed to God. 
And yet, as we look at this and we think about, not even one of my points, but when did God give these spiritual blessings? He saved us when we were still dead in our sins. Not because we've earned it, but he's made us his child while we were dead in our sin. And we see that this is given to us in the beloved. Verse 6, who's the beloved that he speaks of? Well, the beloved is Jesus Christ. To the praise of his glorious grace, verse 6, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. So that blessing comes to us in Christ, through him. And we see in verse 6 that in the beloved Jesus, he has blessed us with his glorious grace. Glorious grace. In verse 7, we see redemption and forgiveness are yours if you are in Christ. And then from verse 7 through verse 9, God has further lavished upon us the riches of his grace and made known to us the mystery of his will. So as Christians, he's revealed his will to us. And when Paul often speaks of the mystery of God's will, he's spoken primarily of the gospel itself. Right? It was a mystery in the Old Testament. How would God save? And God has revealed to us that mystery of his will in the gospel. And so we've been given that. But we also have the riches of his grace lavished upon us. And so again, we see by comparison, what are the riches? What's the blessing that we receive? They are spiritual blessings and they are riches of grace that God has given to us. And the blessings continue in verse 11. It says, in him we have obtained an inheritance. The Christians already obtained an inheritance that he one day will have fully realized. So you might imagine if you have a relative and they tell you, when I pass away, I'm going to leave you this. Now, I, uh, I don't have relatives that are very well off. So I can't speak to this, but uh, my grandfather, when he passed away, he left some stuff to my mom and to my aunt. And then he left a little bit of money for me that allowed me to buy a lawnmower so I could cut the grass. So my, my biggest inheritance so far has been a lawnmower. But even before someone passes away, they can say to you, when you die, when I die, I want to give you this. And you know it's yours even though you have not yet taken possession of it. And so we see in this that we have obtained an inheritance. It's ours. And yet we await the full enjoyment of that, the full realization of what it is we have inherited. And then finally, he tops it all off with verse 13. And I enjoyed being in Sunday school this morning, discussing the Holy Spirit. But look at verse 13, what it says. In him, again, that's in Christ, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So the final blessing that he mentions, that he really tops off all the others is, 
you've been given his Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, his Holy Spirit indwells you. And we're even told one of the purposes of that is as a guarantee of our inheritance. So maybe we sit around sometimes and think, well, God has promised that as a Christian, when I die, I will be with him forever. And he speaks of that in terms of before Christ's return, spiritually, when we die, we will be present with the Lord. But also we understand that when Christ returns, this world will be consumed by fire. And he will build a new earth, new creation, a new earth in which we will dwell apart from sin, apart from the effects of the fall, we will dwell in his presence forever. When we think about that, maybe and sometimes we say, but really, is that true? One day will I be in heaven with God and enjoy his presence? Psalm 16, 11 tells us in his presence is fullness of joy and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. So do you mean to tell me, God, that there will come a day when I will know full joy and pleasures that will never end? Guys, every joy in this life is a small joy. Even the best of joys that we'll ever experience, they don't measure up. Another problem we have with those joys is they don't last, right? That joy may be a fleeting joy, maybe a few seconds, maybe a minute. Even if it were a joy, you think of your own family. If you love your spouse, I had the blessing of having uh, grandparents, uh, great-grandparents, great-grandparents. Uh, one of them lived to be 103, and the other one was maybe 96 or something. But they made it to the point that they were married 75 years. And I look at that and think, 75 years is a long time. And if you know the joy of marriage, that's a long time to enjoy that joy. But is it long enough? It never could be. Does it end? Of course it does. At some point, until death do us part, comes a realization. And so even the greatest joys in this life don't last. But in his presence, fullness of joy, pleasures forevermore. And we think, how is that even possible? Is it true? And what we're told is, he's given us a down payment on our inheritance. What you will inherit is a place in the new earth, in his presence. And the down payment, the guarantee that you're going to get that is, he's given you his spirit already. If you have his spirit, you can know that you're going to receive the rest of the blessing. And the believers receive all this through their union with Jesus Christ. And if you think about the Holy Spirit, Jesus speaks of the Holy Spirit as his spirit, and it indwells us. Remember, Jesus actually tells the disciples, it's good for you that I go away. Because if I don't go away, I cannot send a helper to be with you. And so I think sometimes I look back at the disciples and I think, it'd be pretty awesome to have been there and be taught by Jesus for three years, wouldn't it? And what a blessing they had to be in Jesus' presence. And yet Jesus says, it's to the advantage of the disciples that he leaves them because they get something even better in the Holy Spirit indwelling them. 
But it's in Christ that we receive the spirit of Christ that dwells in us and affirms to us that we truly are his children, children of God. So we might say in terms of union with Christ that we Christians are in Christ and Christ is in us, right? Both of those realities are true. And so this list that he's given is amazing, but it's not extensive. It doesn't cover all the possibilities. There's more blessings than are listed here. And so we can understand that whatever other spiritual blessing that there ever could be, that the Christian could enjoy or could possibly enjoy is theirs in Jesus Christ. I think of Jonathan Edwards, the way he spoke of heaven. He said that heaven will be, maybe I should say it this way, instead of deprivation. Heaven is a place where we will not miss out on any joy that we've known in this life. We might say, apart from that sinful joy, when we sin, we take delight in it, maybe, but not that kind of joy, the true joy that we have in God that we experience. We won't miss out on that when we get to heaven. I thought one of the questions that was asked during Sunday school was really good. Will we have the Holy Spirit with us or indwelling us in heaven for all eternity? And one of the sisters pointed out, Scripture says, we're giving that spirit forever. And I thought about even in terms of this, God's not going to deprive us of anything when we get to heaven in terms of relationship with him and joy. If it's a delight to have his spirit. God's not going to somehow remove the spirit so that now we only have it externally. We still have that spirit. But in addition, we have ourselves in the presence of God the Father and God the Son, the whole Trinity. So whatever other spiritual blessing there can be is ours. We saw that back in verse 3. He's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And so again, the list is not extensive. God has lavished the riches of his grace upon us. We see in verses seven through eight. I think that goes along with that idea of an inheritance. The riches that we have, God has lavished them upon us. I'll come back to that in a little bit. But what he's lavished upon us are the riches of his grace. I really think that seems to be another way of speaking of the spiritual blessings that flow from our union with Jesus Christ. We might say the riches of his grace is a blessing that we enjoy that includes a lot of other blessings. His grace is maybe the means by which he gives to us these blessings that are ours in Christ. And what's remarkable is the language that Paul uses to describe how God gives us these blessings. God lavishing the riches of his grace upon those who are united to Christ. He lavishes it upon us. What, what does lavishing something mean? It's probably not something we use often in our language. But uh, last night I was having dinner and we had really tall glasses. And they asked, do I want a full glass or a half glass? Well, if you think about that, you fill a glass halfway up, you wouldn't say they lavish water upon me, right? That's not the right language. Or even if they fill the glass up, that's nice. But lavishing upon us, I tend to think of it more like, you got that water dumped on you. They took a five-gallon bucket and 
You know, it, it's all over you. It's overwhelming the extent of it. That's how God has given us the riches of his grace in Christ Jesus. He doesn't sprinkle it upon us. Sometimes I wash my hands at the kitchen sink and I love to just give a little bit of a splash to the kids. Dad, you know, they're wiping it off. I wouldn't say to them, well, look, I've just lavished water upon you. Well, they don't want me lavishing it upon them. That's, maybe that's when we're outside, I'll get the, the water and I pour it on them. God has lavished upon us the riches of his grace. And that really speaks to us of God's love for his people. Back in verse 4, we saw, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us. So the initiating work is God's love. God loves us so much that he lavishes the riches of his grace upon us. I think even as we think of salvation and believing in Jesus Christ, how do we talk about it? How do we think about it? I think this passage has helped me to see far more clearly just what a blessing it is to be saved. We can understand, okay, I was dead in my sin and God has made me alive. Like Lazarus, when he said, come forth, he's brought me out of death into life. When we really consider that salvation is God's lavishing his grace upon us, the riches of his grace upon us, I think we understand even to a greater degree just how good is the love of God in salvation. And let me say, if there's some of you in this room who have never trusted in Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, I want to be careful because in a second I'm going to say, we don't come to Jesus just for the blessing. But if you look at the blessing and you think about salvation in terms of this, why would any of us turn away? Why would any of us hear the gospel and say, no, thank you? You know, I really prefer when people are good to me that they just sprinkle it on me. You know, I'm not looking for a lavishing of blessings, riches of grace upon me. That's no, no, I'm okay. None of us would say that. And yet, that is exactly what we do when we reject the gospel. So I encourage you, if you're not a Christian, believe in Jesus Christ. Put your trust and faith in him. Thirdly, I want us to see the source of these spiritual blessings. The source of all these blessings for the believer is their union with Jesus Christ. And maybe this will help us to understand it, but why is it that we get all these blessings? To ask it that way. It's because we're united to Jesus Christ. So why does that matter? Because Jesus Christ is the possessor of all these blessings. And so I know it's hard to understand, and I really haven't made much attempt to explain what is union with Christ. Other than to say, if you're a Christian, you've got it. We are in Christ Jesus. And because these blessings belong to Jesus Christ, Whatever belongs to Jesus is now ours in Christ. Let that sink in for a second. Maybe there's a few of you that are already worried, like, is this heretical? Is he going too far? I mean, that's a bold claim. Whatever belongs to Jesus is mine in Christ Jesus because of my union with him. 
So I read earlier some of the blessings in the passage. Let me go back and look at those again, but this time I want you to focus upon how it speaks of union with Christ. Well, first we see the overarching reference in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. So that's kind of the introduction of the introduction. Every spiritual blessing we've been blessed with in Christ, and then he talks about some of those. So we see in verse 4, he chose us in him. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 6, he has blessed us in the beloved. Verse 7, we have redemption through his blood. Verse 9, according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ, and verse 10, to unite all things in him. And so we've said that the blessings, every spiritual blessing has been given to us, but now we see here the source of the blessing is our relationship with Jesus Christ. So I could even start by saying, if we think about that, and again, if you're not a believer today, can any of those, those blessings belong to you? Can there be someone who says, well, you know, I, I've, never, I've never trusted in Jesus Christ, but I have assurance. I believe with all my heart that he's blessed me in the beloved. He's given me redemption. None of that is ours apart from Jesus Christ and our relationship to him. Charles Hodge, which he was a commentator from many years ago, theologian, he says, much in the same sense, the Israelites are said to have been chosen in Abraham. Now think about what that means. God chose Abraham, and therefore the descendants of Abraham were to be his people because they are coming from Abraham who received the promise. So he goes on and he says, their relationship to Abraham and God's covenant with him were the ground and reason for all the peculiar blessings they enjoy. So also our covenant union with Christ is the ground of all the benefits which we as a people of God possess or hope for. And so if we think about it that way, Romans 5 talks about it in a similar way, a federal headship. Talks about all who are in Adam get what Adam what belongs to Adam. And what did Adam earn? Death, damnation, hell. Congratulations. All who are in Adam, you get what your dad earned for you. Well, that doesn't sound so great, does it? As we think about that, who is in Adam? I mean, all of us in the flesh were born in Adam. But then it talks about the second Adam. But all who are in Christ Jesus receive righteousness in him. So we have the imputation, sin being placed on us so that God looks on us even before we commit sin and says, because you're an Adam, you're a sinner. That's who you are. And as horrible as that sounds, and maybe there's some of you who think that's not fair, right? Why does Adam have to be our representative? You should let me give a try in the garden because I would have done a lot better. No, we wouldn't have. But if that's not fair, is it fair that we would receive the righteousness of Jesus Christ? I think if we want to complain about fairness, that's where we ought to complain. 
I've done a great job earning hell and damnation. And you're going to give me an eternal inheritance? You're going to pour out the riches of your grace upon me? You're going to give me the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that God the Father would look upon me and say, he's righteous. Well, that's not fair, is it? I didn't earn that. It's a gift of God. And so Charles Hodge makes the comparison. The Israelites received peculiar blessings. I mentioned earlier, but I'm preaching through the book of Exodus. And we're seeing a lot of those blessings. How God delivered his people. Even how he struck down the Egyptians and the Israelites were spared from the same plague in the same country. Neighbors all around them who were suffering and they get none of that. He brought them through the Red Sea. He provided manna for them. He gave his Shekinah glory to, to guide them. The tabernacle that they might be in his presence. All those blessings come not because of their deserving, but because of God's covenant promise to Abraham that he would bless his descendants. Guys, understand in the new covenant, we have such a promise. The riches of his grace and inheritance given to us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We're in Christ, and so whatever Christ has is ours. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Let that sink in for a moment. So we see here in Romans 8.32, God, who has already given us the blessing of his son. And as we think maybe that language we said earlier, the sprinkling versus lavishing. God giving us his son, where does that, where does that fit onto this? It's hard to imagine a greater blessing. There is none. God has given us his son. And that's really the argument of 832. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with them graciously give us all things? So the argument is this that Paul's making. If God the Father has given us his son, will he withhold any other blessing from us? Well, that'd be crazy. He's already given us the best thing. It's ours. I sometimes have tried to explain this to my kids in this way. We think about at Christmas, we give gifts. And maybe what my kid wants, maybe it's something that I already have. Maybe he really likes something of mine. And it's my favorite. And maybe I don't want to give it up, but because he's my son, I give it to him. And then he asked me, Dad, could I have your sock? My sock? It's been on my smelly feet? You want my sock? Son, I gave you that. I'd give you anything. If you want my sock, you can have it. That doesn't even rank up in the comparison. That's what we're being told. God has given us his son, and now these other blessings, how would he withhold those? They're lesser. He's given us the greater gift already. And so these blessings are lavished on the believer in love. Given the sinful state of man, that seems impossible. If you know your own heart, if you've seen your own sin, can you imagine that God would do that? Another commentator, Brian Chappell, says, 
God loves us because we are in union with the Son that He loves. United to Christ, we are also adopted by the Father, and as such have all the rights, privileges, and affection that the Son of God Himself receives from God. So I think that maybe helps to put this in perspective. What does it mean for us to be united to Jesus Christ? Well, if we're in Christ, we have been adopted by God the Father. We are children of God. Why are we children of God? Because we're united to Jesus Christ, who is the Son of God. And so how could it be that we could be united to Christ and not be seen by God the Father as sons and daughters? So we are adopted. And we think about that blessing that comes to us because we're in Christ Jesus. Now think about the rights, what were the words he used? Rights, privileges, and affection that belong to the Son. God the Son, Jesus Christ, the rights, uh, the uh, privileges, and affection that belong to him, we also receive as children. And so the love of God flows to the believer because they're united to the Son, Jesus Christ, who knows the fullness of the Father's love. So just a few thoughts and application of these truths. Why does that matter to us? Why, why, why does that mean anything? Well, first, because of Christ, that means if you're a Christian, no spiritual blessing is withheld from you. God doesn't sprinkle out, give us bits and pieces of his blessing. He's poured on us every spiritual blessing. He's blessed us with those blessings that are in Christ. We understand that union with Christ is the source of these blessings, every blessing that we'll ever enjoy. So just think about it this way. When you know blessing in your life, and again, I'm speaking of spiritual blessing. Maybe you know a nearness of God. God draws close to you. Or you think about your adoption, maybe even your election unto salvation. Any blessing that you can think about spiritually that you receive from God you have because of Jesus Christ. Now, as we look at it that way, what should that lead us to? Praise. We should worship God. We should think of Christ as even higher than we've ever thought of him. Because anything I enjoy, it's not because I earned it. It's not because I'm so great. It's because he's so great. And I've been united to him. Now, I just touched on this a little bit, but my second point of application is to say, union with Christ means that what is said of Jesus Christ can now be said of his people. Now, I want to be careful because obviously there are some limitations. We are not suddenly gods, demigods. We're not made divine, but the blessings that he enjoys are ours. And so... Realize this then, that means there's nothing that you can do as a Christian that would result in God depriving you or taking away those blessings. Now, that was a roundabout way of saying, you guys probably know the perseverance of the saints. How is it that a Christian doesn't lose their salvation? Because it's not ultimately about us, but about God and what he's done. What Christ has done. And we're in Christ, and so that relationship cannot be severed. So can you imagine anyone who is a son of God, united to Jesus Christ, being cast eternally into hell? It's impossible. 
Rather, all these blessings belong to us because they belong to the Son to whom they have been united. Now, thirdly, I would say this should be a a source of great comfort for the believer. Who you are as a person. So now I'm bringing it back to the introduction that you've probably been wondering this whole time. How did that have anything to do with the sermon? So let me bring it all back. Often we try to figure out who am I? And what I want you to see that what most fundamentally defines who you are is your relationship to Jesus Christ. That's what determines who you are. So as a person, how God views us is determined by our relationship to Jesus Christ. So going back to that Romans 5 passage, God the Father sees us either in Adam or in Christ. If he sees us in Adam, then we're still dead in our sins and we're headed for hell. But if he sees us in Christ, we have Jesus' righteousness given to us. And so that means our past sins. I think this is really big because I think people struggle oftentimes becoming Christians and they think, what I've done in the past. If only only others knew what I've done in the past. Or we still think about ourselves in relation to that. I am who I once was. And what I want you to see is in Christ Jesus, we are a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So you are not what you did in the past. Even more so, I think, you are not what was done to you in the past. Now, I think this is especially helpful for those maybe who have faced abuse. If you've been in abusive situations, that could be verbal, physical, or sexual abuse. Often, the rest of your life, the thought of what happened shapes who you are. It makes you think of yourself in maybe lesser ways. I have a lady in my church who, sweet lady, she's now 90 years old. And when she was growing up, her dad verbally abused her. And so now, every time she thinks about things, she puts herself down. She's still repeating the words that he said to her 75, 80 years ago. But what I want you to see is that's not what defines you. Whatever someone else may call you doesn't define you. What defines you? If you're in Jesus Christ or not. Likewise, I would say current circumstances. Remember, I mentioned, what if you lose your job? Maybe I'm a pastor. And in some way, that is part of who I am, right? And if I lost my job, would I somehow, is who I am, has that changed? Well, there's some ways in which it's true. But what I want you to see is there's a foundational way in which our identity hasn't changed. I'm still a child of God in Christ Jesus. Nobody can take that away from me. It's impossible. Those blessings somehow aren't lesser because of a change in my position or job. I could say it positively too as well. I got to raise it job. Am I somehow a greater person now? I am who I am in Jesus Christ. And, and being the boss or the manager at work doesn't make me any better. It doesn't earn for me extra spiritual blessings. Christ has earned for me all that I will have. 
Now, as I say that, I think that also means that we won't all experience the spiritual blessings to the same degree. They're all ours. We will know them fully in the consummation when Christ returns. But in this life, we're going to struggle with these things. And so one reason I'm bringing this to you is to encourage you that you know intellectually, those are mine. Because I think that's one step in the process. That One way in which we fight against sin is to know who we are in Jesus Christ. Do I want to forego greater pleasure for lesser pleasure in sin? If we know we're already rich in spiritual blessings, we don't feel like we have to steal lesser joys from the world. Listen to how John speaks of our union with Christ. He, he usually, Paul uses in Christ. It's the most common phrase for for Paul, 170 plus times. John, the Apostle John, when he speaks of it in his writing, he often talks about abiding in Christ. I think it's the same thing, but listen to John 15, verses 1 through 5 and verse 11. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch of me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Again, Jesus speaking says, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. So Jesus gives us really this parable of the vine as a way of teaching us and a way of causing our joy in him to be full. And what is the reality that he speaks of? Jesus is the vine, and he talks about it in terms of we're the branches. So if you're familiar with grapevines, you have that big central vine. And what happens if you cut a branch off of that? Does a branch keep producing fruit? Now, you're not going to get grapes off that branch. No, it has to be connected to the vine to produce any fruit. So likewise for the Christian. We think about even the good works that we do. The fruit of the spirit that's in us, we have because we're united to Jesus Christ. We're in him. And if we were somehow able to be, and we're not, but if we were able to be cut off from him, there'd be no fruit. It'd all be gone. And so John's language of abiding in Christ, I think is really, if I were to say it in my language, I would say we need to live out of our union with Christ. We need to constantly be thinking of myself as a person who is in Christ Jesus. So we need to abide in Christ and that union for their experience and delight and the blessings and in Christ himself. And we need to be reminding ourselves that God's not stingy with his blessings. He lavishes upon, lavishes them, but lavishes them upon us in love. I think often the reality is maybe when we feel like we're not experiencing many of these blessings, part of it is because 
we're not taking advantage of the fact that God's given them to us. We're not really meditating upon that. We're not thinking upon that. Now, let me say here at the end, do not separate Christ from his blessings or the blessings from Christ, right? We don't come to Jesus Christ to get these blessings that I described. We come to Jesus Christ for what? For Christ. That's what we long for. I would even say what we saw earlier, God said, this is the greater gift. We come for the son. Everything else that we experience, as great as it may be, are lesser blessings. But even as I think about in terms of how we think about it as Christians, and again, for those of you who do not know Jesus Christ, if you're not a Christian, these blessings that we've talked about, as great as they are, they're ours through Jesus Christ, and he himself is a greater blessing. The promise in the covenants would be that God would be our God and that he would dwell with us forever. We have longed ever since the Garden of Eden to be in the presence of God. Guys, in the new covenant, he's given us his spirit to indwell us. This is the closest anybody in human history has come to dwelling with God. We have his spirit indwelling us now. There's coming a day when there will be greater blessings still, when we will be with God, the Father, God, the Son, and God, the Spirit forever in a new earth. But the blessing of that new earth, I think it'll be great to be free from sin. God's word tells us there'll be no tears, there'll be no sadness because we will know joy in the Lord. Those are great blessings, aren't they? But what we long for heaven for is Christ. I have this relative. I won't name names, but I have a relative and they like their dogs a lot. I don't get it. I'm not big into a dog, but they had the sign up that says, if there's no dogs in heaven, I don't want to go. That's funny. Yeah, okay. I get it. You like your dog a lot. But do sometimes do we think thoughts like that? The greatest blessing we will have is Christ. We don't need anything else but Christ. And we will know that fullness of joy I spoke of earlier and blessings forevermore. So the consummation of all the blessings we speak of is one day to be in the presence of our triune God. To be there in his presence, to know that joy to be with the one that we love and to be with the one who loved us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for not just these blessings. Lord, we are thankful for them. But Lord, we thank you for Christ. We thank you for your son and the blessings that are ours through him. Lord, help us to see these blessings, to rejoice in them, to worship you and glorify you because of what we've seen. Lord, help us to live out of them and not out of our experiences, maybe even our pride or the hurt that we've known. But Lord, that we would live out of who we are in Christ. God, we pray for any in this room who don't know you, that you would save them today. That you would no longer look upon them as being in Adam and in their sin and deserving of death, but that you would see them in Christ righteous and deserving, deserving of being in your presence forever.
We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.